Welcome back, everybody. This is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Sylvester Inspires Belief Cast. Once again, I have an amazing person um, as a guest today. I've known her for quite some time now, and her name is Jolene Hare. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, when you guys hear her story, you guys will, are going to be blown away because it almost seems like it couldn't happen. But she truly is a walking miracle, and you guys will be inspired by how she fought to overcome not only addiction, but homelessness and a bunch of other things as well. So, um, But I also need to give a shout out to our sponsor before we get started, Veracity Networks. Thanks for believing in me. And then to all the listeners out there, thank you also for believing in me and supporting this. We are cranking and we've had you know, thousands and thousands of downloads now and I just can't believe where we're at. And uh, But you guys will love it and I can't thank Jolene enough for being willing to be vulnerable today and come share her story. So thanks for being here. Okay. So tell us a little bit about where you grew up, Jolene, and, and a little bit about your family life. Okay, so um, my mother had me when she was 16, so you know, basically baby taking care of a baby, more or less. Right. Um, my dad had left before I was born. Okay. Um, so you never knew your dad at all growing up or? Not when I was younger. Okay. Yeah. Um, my grandparents helped my mom take care of me. So, uh, she, we stayed with my grandparents for a while and then she got her own place in Salt Lake and would take me to the hair salon with her and have me hang out there when I was right. little. How long was she at home before she before you guys I guess left? Um, I'm not I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> it's kinda <laughs> vague, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, how was your childhood? How would you kinda describe it growing up? Um, I didn't think it was uh that bad when it was just me and my mother. And my, you know, my grandparents, then it was, it was pretty all right. Yeah. Okay. You, again, you probably didn't know any different at the time, but, no. uh, did you ever struggle as a kid with anything? Um, not until I, about eight years old. And then that's when I started, uh, building resentments towards men a little bit. Okay. Talk about that for a minute. So, and, and this started as young as eight, right? Yeah. My mom was with my first stepdad. Okay. We were um, staying with my aunt, actually, and her husband. And uh, he was an alcoholic. And so he actually molested me when I was eight. Okay. So that's when, you know, the resentments toward, towards, I guess, the opposite sex started happening. Yeah. How, how did that last for a long time, or was it a one-time thing? Or? It was a one-time thing. Okay. Um, my mom didn't do anything about it, but my aunt did. Okay. So. So did you did you tell your aunt? Is that how that happened, or? Well, I went to tell my mom, and um, she was in the room with my stepdad, so she didn't come to the door. Um, I, oh, okay. he was also an alcoholic, and he was not not very nice guy. Right. So she told me to go tell my aunt. So I went and told my aunt, and she woke up her husband and basically told him to get out, kicked him out. The cops were never called or anything, but she right. did kick him out of her house. And then, but that stopped it from per, you know, ever happening again at that time? Yeah, I or? was never around him again. Okay. 
well, l- luckily that your aunt had your back there and was, you know, there to help protect you in that moment, right? Right. So this started at eight, and, you, you know, you're, you're probably thinking men are probably scary, you resent them, probably not safe kind of thing. And, and any kid at eight years old, any girl would think that had they gone through the same thing, right? Right. Yeah. So as that progressed, um, did you struggle after eight years old? I mean, did you feel sad or depressed because of that or anything like um i i didn't really because of that i, I think i more or less blocked that out mm-hmm. but i mean i knew there was still something why i didn't like yeah you know but you just kind of lived your life and went on and so yeah. um you know obviously you have overcome an addiction in your you know it, you know you've been two years clean but i want to point that out right right so congratulations on that thank you again walking miracle to me when it, um, so when did you start using drugs and alcohol? When was your first experience with that? Um, in junior high, so about 13. Okay. Talk about that and just kind of lead, lead us down this road of where that took you. Okay. Um, I had, like I said, because of the, what had happened at eight. So I didn't like pretty much any of my stepdads. My mom was married a couple of times. Um, the stepdad she was with at this particular time, um, I don't know if he was like jealous of mine and her relationship. I'm an only child, so okay, you know, no brothers or sisters. Okay, <laughs> um, but he wanted most of her attention. So if she was giving me too much attention, he would get get mad. Yeah, or and upset. he just yeah, and I felt like he treated me totally different. He was never really physically abusive, just more or less kind of mentally abusive. Okay. Like would so. verbally say mean things probably. and Yeah, or I'd hear them fighting about me or, you mm. know, whatever the case may be. Yeah. And so they, my mom is an alcoholic too, and so is my second stepdad as well. So they would always have vodka in their cupboard. So I would take it, put it in mason jars, take it to school with me and fill their vodka up with water. Oh, really? Yeah. And and how old were you when you were doing this? 13. Still at 13, yep. really? Okay. 13, and then I hung out with the, um, I guess what you would call stoners in school. Uh-huh. So I started smoking cigarettes, started trying whatever else they had, you know, whatever the other kids would bring in. And uh, so I started meth at 13 as well. Wow. Yeah. So you progressed quickly because usually people, you know, you, we usually hear they start with smoking pot, a little pot here, a little drinking here and there. But man, you're drinking vodka and doing meth, um, you know, and that I think that says a lot in the sense of what that led you to, because, I mean, you you really are lucky to be alive. And I think that that became a very that was an indicator of how bad things got down the road for you. Yeah. So let's talk. You just kind of progress from there. Um, so I just, I tried pretty much everything. I mean, I, I did smoke weed. I, I tried everything. Right. Um, I started running away from home because I didn't want to be around my, you know, my stepdad. So I started running away from home at the age of 13 as well. And, uh, for some reason, whenever I would do something, I would do it big. I would never just right start small. Kind of all or nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So I I was pretty ungovernable as a child, um, mm-hmm. in and out of foster homes, in and out of group homes, um, 
I would leave with truck drivers and go out of state. And then I'd always call my mom and my mom would bail me out. Mm. Send me back home um, in and out of detention centers. I just, I never would stay home. So So were you, not only were you probably doing drugs and alcohol, obviously, were you doing criminal behavior on top of that? Like, is that why you were getting thrown into to detention or is that more just with the with the possessions and stuff well like I, drugs and alcohol i never really got caught when i was a juvenile with that sort of stuff it was for being ungovernable oh gotcha. so my mom would call me in as a runaway oh gotcha and then okay. after being a runaway i should have clarified someone, that i'm not sure what that meant i guess yeah. okay so, so you would run away a lot yeah a lot okay yeah so were you ever talk about that for a minute i mean because you know that's a pretty bold thing to do as a kid. I mean, things had to have been bad enough, at least in your mind, like I'm getting out of here. So mm-hmm. talk us through that a little bit. I just, um, I think I just held on to a lot of things that happened with, you know, when I was eight and then um, at 13 I was raped. So I held on to that and the cops never got called on either one of these um, right. when the, those things happened. And I just didn't like my, I didn't like my stepdads. Right. Honestly, I mean, I don't know what it was. I just. Well, it probably stems back to what happened when you were eight. And again, obviously not trusting them. You know, you know, it's an, it's a stepdad in your life who's not your real dad. And so that in itself would make you a little leery. Yeah. Right. That, and I felt like my mom wasn't there for me when that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, even though my aunt was, I just felt like my mom wasn't. Yeah, that, so talk. So I'm sure that hurt thinking that. Well, why didn't my mom do something, right? Yeah, it is did. that how you felt? Yeah, at that time it. Yeah, that's exactly how I felt. Yeah, so you're doing this runaway thing. You're getting thrown into detention, halfway ho- halfway houses, all this stuff. Um, I, I'm assuming the drugs and alcohol got worse. Yeah. As time went on. Progressed. Okay. I don't think there was a day that went by, um, up until I was. 26 that I didn't use mm. so yeah it got worse and worse and and then the um, activities I would do got worse too as I became an adult right so it went from like running away to um, credit card and check fraud for a while right um, I was cooking mess I was selling drugs all that right um, so, um, how did you get into that? I mean, that's a pretty, another big leap. I mean, like you said, you go, when you make a decision in a, you actually go all in kind of thing. And I mean, that's a pretty big leap. Yeah. How did you get involved with that? Was that, were you doing it with someone or is this just something you decided to do on your own? Well, um, so my whole family are, are addicts pretty much, okay. if, whether they're recovered now or not. But, mm-hmm. um, I had an aunt who... I would actually cook with so and my mom at this time also started using meth with me okay she had left my second stepdad so we were using together and um my mom never (laughs) she's she would never really get too involved in it like she wouldn't really go and buy her own stuff Mm okay i would be the one to buy it and bring it to her and she would like give us the money to to cook the cook meth, mm-hmm. but she would never be there when we were doing it. Okay. So it was like me and my aunt doing it. 
How did you feel about that with, you know, your mom, you know, doing drugs with your mom? Um, honestly, it didn't really, I didn't really feel much of anything about it, honestly. It almost maybe seemed somewhat normal because you're just, this is what I do. And so it didn't, it wasn't like something like this is weird or anything like that. No, it wasn't at all. Because I mean, my mom drank and she used drugs for as long as I can remember too. So it's just like a normal thing, I guess. Well, I thought it was a normal thing. Right. Right. So. So, well, so did you get, you know, in trouble or with the law with you know the check fraud and all that stuff talk about that and just continue with your story there yeah I got um so my dad really hadn't ever been a part of my life um on and off like I would meet his family or whatever and then um his dad was actually um sick and getting ready to pass and he wanted to make amends with me Mm. and so he came down and and we met, and all I could think about in my ho- in my brain was, oh, you guys have never been there for me, so why bother now? Right. And he gave me his phone number, and it was actually on the back of one of his check check things. So I, oh, yeah, I was okay. hanging out with somebody who was making checks, and uh, I actually, um, since we had the same last name, it was kind of easy for her to make a check and me to go cash it. Right. And um, so yeah, I I went to jail for. For that, he didn't want to press charges, but he didn't know that it was me who had taken him, I guess. So he oh. got the police involved and okay. his money missing. And uh, once the state picks it up, then he can't exactly right. drop they, it. They, they're going to pursue it no matter what. Yeah, exactly. Point. How long did you end up serving in jail? I didn't stay in jail for too long. My mom actually bailed me out. Okay. And... Uh, then she thought I was going to leave state, so she revoked my bail and sent me back to jail for a little oh. bit. Okay. How did you feel about that at the time? Oh, I was I was mad at the time. Yeah. I was really mad because, you know, I mean, I was, I felt like I was doing all this stuff for her, even though it really now I know it wasn't helping her any by getting her drugs, but right. I was like, okay, why why would she do this to me? Yeah. And now I get it. But then I was just really upset about it. Sure. So um, I got out of jail and actually left to California with the girl that I was doing all this with. Okay. And by this time, my aunt had been arrested and put in prison for manufacturing. And um, yeah, I went to California and I was still doing the credit card thing. And we actually got. Uh, busted in California. So I did four and a half months in Las Colinas. Really? Yeah. Talk about that experience. Was that a scary time? That was, it was so, it so different than Utah jail, honestly. Because mm-hmm. um, in California jail, um, I was the minority in California jail. Mm. And so I, I was the one that didn't really, you know, fit in with the cliques. I didn't know anybody. Right. I had girls that wanted to beat me up. I had... All, all sorts of stuff. I just had to stick up for myself, and they kind of left me alone. But it was it was hard. It was rough, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. I've heard that before, that California prisons are on another level compared to what we, you know, we would have here in Utah. I've heard that a lot, actually, from people. Yeah, it's crazy, the, the difference. Yeah. 
Awesome. So you served there in your, you know, did that, did you feel yourself kind of like, you know how they say, you know, you can get into, in, what do you call it, uh, institutionalized? Mm-hmm. You know, did you feel that way? You know, did you start getting that kind of like that, you know, prison mentality after being there? Or did you talk about that for a minute? No, I didn't get the prison mentality. Okay. I mean, I, I did a nice show while I was there. Right. Trying to act a lot harder than I was. Okay. But yeah, I never wanted to go back. Right. So talk about, you know, from there on, what, what happened after that? Um, so from there, I actually met a girl in while I was in jail because I didn't know anybody in California. So I met this girl, and I actually went and stayed with her and her husband on the military base in San Diego. And uh, I didn't know anybody to get meth from, so I actually wasn't using meth at this time, but I was drinking a lot. And um, I ended up having a one-night stand and getting pregnant with my son. Right. And um, called my mom, told her, and of course my family wanted me back here. But I had uh, outstanding warrants, felony warrants out here. Um, I got really lucky and got a really good public defender. And she actually, it's when drug court first came out. Okay. So she got all of my... Um, even my my many charges all condensed into drug court. Okay. I did have some possession charges too. Um, so I did. I had no desire to use when I was pregnant at all. And luckily I hadn't been using meth before I got Beforehand, pregnant. Beforehand, right. So I just, um, my whole pregnancy stayed clean. Um, got a job. I had a job for like eight years. Had a five-bedroom house in Bountiful. Really? So, yeah. So you were turning your life around. Things were going in a good direction at least, right? Yeah, for the most part. After I had my son, though, I started drinking again and doing hallucinogenics. Um, Just I I thought it was okay because I wasn't doing meth, so it was okay. Yeah, it was a good way to justify it. Yeah. And and you're also thinking, well, you know, I'm not pregnant now. I, I can't harm my son that way. Exactly. So, you know, I'll... You know, now you can easily justify doing something like that. Yep, that's <laughs> that's exactly it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny how we think of these things, right? Like, it, at the time it made sense, right? But then when you think of it now, logically, you're like, what was I thinking, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now that I'm at the point in my life I am now, I'm, I look back and <laughs> just shake my head and wonder. <laughs> right. It's like, what was I doing? Yeah. <laughs> wow. So, but I did stay off of mess for probably about eight years. Okay. But I still wasn't sober because I was drinking mm-hmm. hallucinogenics. Um, and then I was, I justified getting back on it because um, of my weight. Couldn't lose my baby, my baby weight for okay. my son. All right. So I let my aunt move in with me. She was still using. She'd gotten out of prison. Okay. She was still using. And um, I ended up talking her into getting me some meth. Because at this time, I wasn't hanging out with any of the old people that I used to hang out with. I wasn't. I was just working, partying with my roommate, taking care of my kid. Right. But it only took the one time of her getting me something, and I was like, back on the, back on it. Back on the meth train, right? Yep. Um, so talk about that now, because that's when things really started to probably spiral downhill for you. Talk about that and yeah. what that led to. Um. Well, starting it up again, 
at first I was still functioning at my job, you know, but then with me, if I'm going to do something, like I said before, I do it big. Yeah. So I started using more and more and more. It started affecting my job. Um, got involved with somebody at work, which I never would have done if I right. wasn't using. Yeah. And that led into a big thing to where I just, I quit. I quit my job. Um, lost my five-bedroom house. Um, had to move into the basement of my mom's house at this time with my with my son. And, yeah. And that didn't help any. She was still using at the time. Oh, okay. So it w we were, like, feeding off each other. Yeah. And um, she ended up getting meth-induced schizophrenia. She'll disagree with me, but she right. did. <laughs> right. You witnessed it, right? I did. Yeah. She had cameras all over the house, would make me watch videotapes and all sorts of fun stuff like that. Yeah. So that I was dealing with that, trying to deal with her being that way and me living in her basement, plus taking care of my kid. And now not knowing, I had plenty more time on my hand now that I wasn't working, so I would just use more. Right. And started hanging out with you know, the bigger people, like the bigger dealers. Okay. Started um, dealing a little bit. And then I, um, my aunt quit. Actually, she had gotten sober after <coughs> her, um, my cousin's baby actually had passed away. She got taken away from us because of the drug of use. Right. And she had medical problems, so she ended up aspirating and passing. Oh and wow. that's what changed my aunt's life. That's when she was like, you know what, I I can't keep doing this. Yeah, so she was yeah. done. She was done with it. Wow. Yeah, she um, did her time, the rest of her time, and just hasn't used used it since. Been clean since. Is she yep. still living now? Yeah, she is. And she's still clean. Yep. Wow, that's, yeah, unfortunately it has to sometimes take such a, you know, maybe a tragic event to wake you up and go, what am I doing? Yeah. Right. Exactly. But you, but you kept going. I kept going. Okay. Yeah. So talk about that and where that led to. So I, um, I was on the computer a lot. It just it's uh, all sorts of weird things that happened <laughs> in my life. Right. I was on virtual reality games a lot. Okay. Um. Met a lady and her wife on this virtual virtual reality game that I had done for I I don't know like three or four years. I had been doing this game. And. Uh, my internet went out, and all of a sudden, she drove from Henderson, Nevada, to Utah, and picked me and my son up. She didn't know that I was using, mm -hmm. so to make that long story short, I ended up getting off of meth again for probably four months. Right. But I was drinking, still, and then things just didn't work out, so I came back home, and... uh at this time, my grandma was really sick, and they had, my family decided to put her in hospice. And uh, for some reason, she just wouldn't let go until she talked to me. And I think it was, I just had to reassure her that I was going to be okay. Yeah. So I, I pretty much lied to her, yeah. you know, right. kind of. Um, but yeah, she stayed, she stayed alive until I did talk to her. And then she mumbled, I don't know what she said to me, but she mumbled something to me, and then she passed. And then she passed. Okay. Yeah, so right. that hit me really, really hard. Yeah, I bet. Because she was like, just like my mother. Yeah, you know? yeah. So um, 
so that happened and then I went even harder and uh, we were losing her house at, and this is a house that my grandpa had built when before I was even born for him and, oh, okay you know my aunts and uncles yeah my mom so we were trying to keep it in the f in the family but she owed like a second mortgage on it so the bank was pretty much taking it unless we could come up with a great great big sum of money right and it's an old house, so it wouldn't have even been really worth yeah, worth it. So me and my mom were staying there, still using. I still had my son at this time. Um, her schizophrenia was still bad. So we were staying there doing some repairs to the house, getting it ready for the bank to take. And um, me and my mom got into a physical altercation. Mm -hmm. And... My mom was extremely good with my kid. I mean, extremely good with my son. Right. He loved his grandma to pieces, you know. Mm -hmm. And so this is kind of what clicked in my head for me to have my son go somewhere else. Because we got into the physical altercation. My son saw the marks on my neck. Right. And then he ended up telling me that um, he hates grandma. And I was like, okay, this is this yeah. is just not right. It's not good, yeah. And I'm surprised that I actually thought that clearly, considering. Right. Yeah, right. But my cousin offered to take my son, and so I let her her have my son. And that's when I became homeless. Okay. It's after my, my cousin took my kid. So how did you become homeless? Well, give us a little more detail. So you give up your son, which you're, I get why you did, because you're like, this is not a safe environment. It's not good. It's not positive. You're trying to do what's best for your kid at that time. Mm-hmm. How did that lead to homelessness, though? Because um, I was living at my grandma's house, and then the bank took my grandma's house. Okay. And so, basically, my mom had met another guy on the internet that she ended up um, leaving state, and, go, and she ended yeah. up marrying him, so she's married to him now. Okay. Because, you know, this is the part of the story that just blows my mind, because, yeah, when when we say homeless, you were really homeless. I mean, I homeless. you know, living in a tent and... Mm -hmm. I mean, how many years was it? Seven years. Seven years living in a tent. And I'll never forget when you shared how you used to sleep with a, I think it was it a taser. Oh, I had tasers, yeah. Yeah. And I asked you, well, why'd you do that? And you're like, well, when people try to come in and steal my sleeping bag or my pillow or something. And I'm thinking, that's the way you were living your life. And it blew my mind. I was like, wow. So so you go homeless. Where where do you go? Do you just Do you just... Go try to find a homeless community at that point? What did you do? Um, I didn't really know what to do, but I had been in the the scene for so long that I knew a lot of people. Okay. So at first it was, um, at first it was just like people would let me stay on their couch for a little bit. Right. And then it got to the point where I, w I was using more and more and more and more and more. And they were still using too. So, you know, it, once you start using, your life starts falling apart. Oh, yeah. So um, I ended up going and meeting somebody to deliver some drugs to them. And he's like, yeah, check this out. You got to come see this place. So I went with them and they had built cabins. Like in <laughs> by the Jordan River. Okay. They had built some cabins and uh, it was kind of like Tent City, but in a more remote area okay so it wasn't as bad as the block but right um so i was like oh well this is this is kind of cool all right so um i started staying down there with him and then uh 
And then I just, I quit staying with him because of other circumstances. And ended up getting my own tent and just meeting everybody down there. So that's how it happened. Okay. Pretty much it was just like, once I went down there, I just didn't leave. So were you doing drugs with the this group of people oh, as yeah. well? So you guys are doing drugs. You're Now you really are homeless. You're, you're in a tent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you do this for seven years. Seven years. Wow. I mean, did you... Talk about us what was going through your mind at times. Did you did you ever go like, I can't believe I'm homeless or this is horrible? Were you ever sad or depressed or I mean I'm sure you were at times, but talk us through that a little bit. Like what was going through your mind or, or did you not care? I really I think I was just using so much that I really just didn't give a shit, honestly. Yeah. Or care. You're okay. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I just as long as I was high, I was all right. I love you, Jolene. You're awesome. <laughs> Seriously, she's an amazing woman, I'm telling you guys. Um, so, yeah, you know, and I think that that's what addiction does. I mean, we just, you get to a point where you quit doing the things you love, you give up things that you love. I mean, you had to give up your son, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, you're seven years down there, and, you know, what was the scariest time down there? Can you share any time down there where it was just like, wow, that's that was scary? There was, there's a few different times. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had... It's by the Jordan River, so, I mean, there was bodies that were found. You know, there was people would come up missing. Yeah. Um, it was, plus there was a lot of people out there that were um, not all the way there in, in the head. Yeah. And really, I just, I would just, it's, it seems kind of rude, but I would just pretty much laugh at what they were saying. I am extremely lucky that I never got. psychosis extremely lucky yeah and so really all of it i don't know if i was ever necessarily really scared except for um when the cops started coming down hard after operation rio grande yeah where they started uh, moving that the that whole homeless community from that area and displacing them right basically yeah well they were yeah they were taking everybody from the block and like pushing them towards where we were oh, okay because i was down on like 45th okay and um by the jordan river down that way yeah and then all of the people from the block started coming and this one of the reasons i would never go down there was i didn't want to get you know all the crazy stuff that happens at the block yeah i didn't want to get robbed or raped mm-hmm. or beat up or killed or yeah now they were pushing everybody towards us. Gotcha. Did you ever have to use your taser? No. I had yeah. my dog, too. So You had the dog with you, okay. Yeah, even though he was really nice, he would bark yeah. at people. He would bark and kind of give you a little protection. Yeah. So, I mean, we could spend so much time on this tent uh, situation that you were in for seven years. Talk about, though, you know, you get towards the end of the seven years. I, I don't know if I remember, like, how you eventually found Wasatch Recovery. Let's talk about that because, again, another amazing story I know. So let's let our listeners know how that happened and, and why you decided you wanted help. Okay, so I'm, okay. There was a guy named Patrick that would come down for the needle exchange program. Okay. And um, he was trying to, um, help the spread of HIV and mm-hmm. Hep C for IV drug users. That that was his goal. That's what he does. Yeah. 
And so he actually was down there quite a bit helping us out. And um, the police were um, like cutting up our tents and taking all of our stuff. And um, Patrick told me that he was having the Salt Lake Tribune come down and do an article on um, the needle exchange program and how the cops were treating the homeless. Right. And he asked me if I wanted to be interviewed. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's fine. So I actually met him the following morning, and the Salt Lake Tribune was there. And they took my picture, and I told them, and I was really upset about this at the time. Now I'm grateful, but right. I told them not to put it in with the needle exchange program, but they could use my picture for how the cops were treating the homeless. Oh, okay. But they ended up not even doing that article and ended up only doing the needle exchange program one and put my picture in with it. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, which ended up obviously being a blessing. Yeah. So now, let's talk about that. So I, <laughs> um, I didn't even know about the paper. My ex-boyfriend actually showed me the paper and I was so mad. I was livid about my picture being in there. And then Patrick came down and he's like, he found me, and he goes, Jolene, I have this, I have this um, message on my phone that I need you to hear. And I was like, okay. So he plays this, you know, this voice voicemail message for me, and it's actually my aunt um, stating that uh, she found a place that would sponsor me for 90 days and then um, six months of sober living at another facility. Mm -hmm. So when it was all going to be paid for, and I was like, okay. And I wasn't real thrilled about it at the time. Right. But Patrick was so excited about it. It was, <laughs> it was <laughs> right. unreal. Yeah. So. Uh -huh. And um, he actually got me a hotel room so I could think about it away from everybody. That didn't work out very well. I had people come over, but I also had my aunt come over and she talked to me. And that made it a little easy, you know, started making me think a little bit. And then it actually took another addict to get me to actually, like, come to my senses. Oh, yeah, talk about that. She was my best friend down there. Mm -hmm. And um, I was making up every excuse. Well, who's going to take care of my dog? Who's going to, you know, who's going to do this? Who's going to do that? And... She pretty much just looked at me and told me I was an idiot if I didn't take this opportunity to get off the streets, to get away from, yeah. you know, always being arrested, not having a place to live, to get my kid back, get my family back. Um, she would take care of my dog. She would take care of my animals. So I ended up calling Melanie from Wasatch, mm -hmm. who just so happens to be a... Uh, high school friend of my aunt's really yeah so my aunt was living with okay. melanie at the time and really? that's how this got oh gotcha that's how i ended up in wasatch oh, okay i never knew that actually yeah so my aunt saw the news article um talked to melanie melanie came in and talked to mark and was like i need to get this girl in here i need to help her and mark was like bring her in yeah so. and by the way mark uh, richards is the owner of wasatch recovery treatment center um probably one of the most giving guys you'll ever meet in your life true and you know he's that kind of guy where i'm he was just like yeah let's do this let's help this woman out right yes yep. yeah so you come here right you 
you get here, yeah. you sit down, I'm assuming, with Melanie and Mark. and, and Actually, I don't remember meeting Mark at first. Okay. Um, I, Melanie brought, she came down to the river, picked me up. Yeah. Melanie did and okay. brought me here. And um, I think the first person other than Melanie I met was Toby. Okay, yeah. So the house manager. Yep. And she just, she made me feel at ease, you know, because yeah. I was a little anxious. And um, that was actually the first day I hadn't used because I didn't use before I came in. Right. I made the conscious decision not to come in here high. And so she made me feel at ease and made me feel at home. And then they put me in the other house. <laughs> <laughs> so Right. Um, it was kind of weird because, I mean, this place is amazingly beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I'm coming from a tent. Yeah, for seven years, by the way. Seven, seven years. years from a tent to this five-star property, right? I mean, right. it really is a beautiful place. Yes, it and is. you're probably going, wow. Yeah, I didn't know what to do with myself, honestly. Yeah. yeah. I could shower whenever I wanted, you know, and everything. And I was just like, so I made myself ha have anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I'm a runner, so I would pace back and forth and watch the road. That whole entire first night, I did that. Yeah. And then um, I talked to Melanie the following day and told her that I wanted to leave. I didn't want to be here. I wanted to leave. And she's all, let's move you to the other house and see how you do. Mm -hmm. So she switched me houses so I could be around Toby. Yeah. And everything, and that actually mellowed yeah. me out a lot good old toby she's an amazing woman as well yes she is yeah yeah wow so um so you felt safe mm -hmm. i think that's what you were looking for and i also think what i'm hearing is almost a little uncomfortable that you had all these nice things all of a sudden yeah you went from a tent to this like mansion basically that has all this amazing stuff you know you can take a shower whenever you want there's food everywhere you can have food all day long you know, you're probably going, what is going on here? And, you, and even though it's such a great thing, it still probably felt very uncomfortable. It was really foreign to me. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so you ended up, uh, you know, obviously coming to our program here. And I luckily got the, the opportunity to, you know, be your coach here and, and help you on some belief systems and, and start believing in yourself kind of thing and, and realizing who you really are. And, and, you know, one thing I loved about you is that you – you showed up for every appointment. You tried to see me as often as you could. And you, you processed almost every week in process, <laughs> you know, which, but, but you were really truly in it to win it. I'll never forget when Mark told you to take out your, what do we call it? A tongue, My tongue rings. Tongue rings. <laughs> she, was, she had these tongue rings. And Mark said, said, well, if you really want to change, take out those tongue rings. And you didn't even hesitate. You popped them right out right there in the meeting. Yeah, I remember And you that. took them out, you know. And that's just what I love about you, Jolene, is that you, you're you so teachable and you're so willing to try to do the right thing, you know? Um, and uh, so you're here for, how long did you end up staying here at residential? I did, uh, I was only supposed to do 90, but I ended up being here 110. Yeah. Because they were trying to figure out my sober living right. situation. Yeah. And and then, and then we ended up, uh, we got the sober living thing figured out. Started and then you did our day treatment program, correct? Yes. How long did you end up doing that for? Um, I did day treatment for three months, I believe. Yeah. 
Three months, and then did you do IOP as well, eventually? I had two jobs at this time and did IOP for... Now, where were you working? Talk about that for a <laughs> second. 7-Eleven. 7-Eleven and the Dollar Tree. And the Dollar Tree. Yeah. But again, I mean, here you go from homeless, no job, no nothing, come here, do our program, not for very long, even though it was 120 days, that's still not very long compared mm-hmm. to seven years, of, and then even longer than that, years and years and years of drug use. Yeah. And you start doing our day treatment, start doing IOP, working two jobs. You're just a hard worker. So tell tell our listeners now what do you do? What what's your job? What um, do you do and where do you work? I'm actually line staff at Wasatch. Yeah. And I run the girls' side of Wasatch Sober Living. Yeah. Wow. And you know, for those of you who don't know, um or haven't seen Wasatch's sober living, I mean it really is stated just probably the nicest sober living out there. I mean, it's all brand new. It's beautiful. And then you're running the show down there, which is amazing. How does that feel? Um, at first it felt kind of weird, <laughs> yeah. but now it, now it's all right. You know, I, I yeah. actually really enjoy it. Yeah. And, and believe it or not, it kind of, it doesn't necessarily keep me sober, but it helps to be in a sober community. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and what's great now is it's great to see you now be a leader and helping these other people who come here who are struggling. And without fail, every time you share your story in, you know, in a large group here, people always walk out and go, oh my, I cannot believe that you know where you w- were and where you are now. <laughs> people are yeah. blown away, right? Yeah, they are. They, yeah. Yeah. And like we said earlier, you've been clean now two years. Years. You're working here at Wasatch Recovery, which I think is the best treatment center in the in the country. I agree. Right, I really do, and for a lot of reasons. Um, and and now you're 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 giving back, helping other people. You share your story often, and you know, I was thinking the other day, I, mean, I got to get Jolene on this belief cast because it's such an amazing story. You know, um, what 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 are some of the biggest lessons you've learned through all this process of you know, drug addiction, what you went through as a young child, um, being homeless and now going through treatment and working through all this. What what are some of the biggest lessons you've learned? Um, I think one of them is that cause I used to um, have a lot of guilt and stuff like that for, you know, my son and, and uh, all the decisions I made. But now I've just accepted all of it, mm-hmm. you know, because it's part of all of that is part of what makes me me. Yeah. So. Yeah. Which that's part of it. So yeah, and I take that, and I, th- I'll, I'll add to what I see is that, you just kind of own your life now versus playing the victim to what has happened, or, and that's a beautiful thing to watch you do that, yeah. you know, and uh, I admire you so much, Jolene, for how hard you work, how hard you continue to work, not just in being clean and sober, but just with your job and how you take such great pride in it, and you work hard and you always. You're always trying to do your best. I really admire that. Thank you. Yeah, and I think that's why you're doing so well. You're putting in the work. Yeah, I still hold myself accountable for everything. <laughs> you do. So um, if you could give our listeners who are hearing this story of yours who may be struggling with addiction or they know someone who may be homeless or addicted or whatever, I mean, I don't know, what what what's some advice or, you know, yes, yeah, so I guess some advice that you could give them. Um, my advice would be to um, reach out, ask for help. Mm-hmm. I mean, I got lucky and it kind of 
kind of fell into my lap, the help part did. Right. But and just be absolutely vulnerable and open minded to what everybody says. Yeah. Honestly, take a good look at even if you don't agree with it, just think about it for a minute because something some part of it might right actually resonate. Yeah. I think that vulnerable piece is powerful. I, I think it's uh, Brene Brown that says the level of vulnerability we're willing to express and put out there will be equal to the uh, a level of happiness we'll experience. And so, you know, you are, you're really happy. Every time I see you, you're laughing, you're giggling, you're, but you're also serious when you need to be, but you're just a happy person now. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it's fair to say. My yeah. actual and my actual true self now. I don't have the cognitive dissonance yeah. anymore. Yeah, you know who you are and what you stand for. And Well, I I can't thank you enough for taking some time to sit down with me and to share your story, and it really is inspiring. I mean, like I said earlier, you really are a walking miracle, and everyone here at Wasatch looks at you and just goes, wow. And this is proof that if if we give someone a chance, they can change their life, and you're you're living proof of that. You know, and honestly, I, I just want to give props to, uh, you know, Wasatch Recovery and Mark Richards f- and Jeff Richards for taking a chance on you because they did. They, they, they scholarshiped you and it was all free for you, but they took a chance and look at you now and it paid off. And, and uh, I'm just grateful for them and for because for, I'm proud to be a part of this organization because when I sit next to you going, wow, I was a small part of that and part of your journey. You were actually a pretty big part of that because you helped me immensely with, because I had pretty much no self-esteem when I came in here, mm-hmm. none at all, and you were the one that helped me with the tools that I needed to, oh, well. actually, and the nice, you know, all of your all of your words of wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Jolene. Well, you know, it was my, it was my pleasure, and uh, I just want you to know how proud I am of you, and I wish you, you know, continued success myself and Wasatch were always here for you and I'm just grateful that you're working with us as well now which is really cool I mean I never saw that happening when you first got here I'm like I mean I'm like man I hope this woman even you know makes it even a week here I told all of you guys I'd be working here when I was in house I remember you saying that and and those are some of the things we worked on like putting it out there this Mm -hmm. is going to happen and here you are it's so fun to watch so thank you for taking the time to being on here and uh for sharing your story with yeah. us, Jolene. Thank you. Okay, well, there you go, listeners. Uh, truly, Jolene's amazing. You guys are amazing. Thank you for the support. You know, I'd like to, t- you know, one of the things that Jolene and I worked on a ton was the, you know, the the belief that there was something wrong with her when in reality there really wasn't. And it really is the most delightful surprise when you suddenly recognize there's nothing wrong with you. And I saw that transformation in Jolene as we work together through this process. And so anyway, don't forget that. Thank you uh, for all your support. And, and until next time.